0: John and Lisa are longtime friends of ours. We've known them for close to 28, 27 years, something like that. Uh, I, was, I started out in the ministry um, way back in the 90s uh, with uh, Pastor Bernie Gruendike and the Resurrection Life Church, which was the second Res Life to be founded. We got together when we were still in the school. And uh, I would come and uh, come do youth music and everything. And uh, Brother John and I have been friends uh, for many, 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 many years. Uh, he is an anointed uh, man of God. He's the pastor of the Restore Church over in Ionia. Works in the prophetic gifting uh, uh, along with many other giftings. I wonder if we could stand and give a warm Resurrection Life Church welcome to John and Lisa Prominsky.
1: Amen. Well, I am thrilled to be here. Back in the day when I was a youth pastor, Pastor Rick was my worship leader, and we would turn him loose. And uh, um, this pulpit is gorgeous. Not only do you have a savior who was a carpenter, you got a pastor who was a carpenter. Look at that. That is amazing. Um, the church I, I grew up in, my pastor, when he would open with the word of God, he'd say, can we stand in honor of God's word? Can we do that this morning, stand in honor of God's God's word? John chapter 14 is where I'm going to start. No telling where I'm going to end up. John 14, look at 15. It says, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I'll come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you'll see me since I live. You'll also live. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me, and because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Father in heaven, we know that your word, when it goes out, it never returns back to you void or empty, but it accomplishes that for which you sent it, and so your word's going out today, oh God, and I pray that it would accomplish your purpose. Your word's come carrying something, For each and every one of us. And so, Father, I ask that we be ready receivers of your word this morning. Father, may your word go rich. May it go deep. Father, may it dig. May it dig in every heart. May it challenge every heart. And, Father, may we lead this place not only closer to you, more passionate of you, for you. May we be worshipers in spirit and in truth. And, Father, may we be modern-day Levites bearing your presence wherever we go. Father, Father, use me in spite of me, in spite of flaws and weaknesses. Use me, Father. Here I am available for your service. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. amen, amen, amen. I do two things to try to, to stay in shape, and now that I'm 60, you know, I, I'm just doing my best to, to stay after it. I like to lift weights, and I also like to walk. And sometimes Lisa's with me walking, um, sometimes I'm by myself. Well, on this particular day, I'm by myself, and when Lisa's not with me, I'm usually listening to a message, a podcast. And I was listening to a message by Pastor Michael Miller from Upper Room. Um, You probably heard some upper rooms worship, and he was speaking about orphans. He mentioned this scripture here where Jesus said, I'll not abandon you as orphans, and that message so grabbed my heart, I don't know if I heard another doggone thing in that podcast, and my mind just began to race, my heart began to race, and this is really Uh, where this kind of came out of and it was birthed out of, I thought, why do so many that have invited Jesus into their hearts struggle with abandonment issues? I couldn't get away from that thought. And what I believe God spoke to me and what God continued to speak to me through this, I believe is going to help you today. And so I first want to look at that word orphans used in John 14, 18 that we just read. The Hebrew root means to be alone. And it's often often rendered fatherless or bereaved. It carries the idea of a person who's without legal standing. Maybe you've heard the legal expression, uh, you know, or the the expression "a person doesn't have a, a leg to stand on. So this word can cover anything from having no parents to extreme rejection or loss one description even added, a friendless person who has no associates. So, so how does this affect us, and why, would, why did Jesus feel like he had to, to tell them that? Research suggests that orphans are susceptible to depression, anger, anxiety, feelings of sadness. It says orphans have a tendency to withdraw and to self-isolate. How powerful is it then that Jesus promises not to leave us orphans? He knew his departure would be difficult for the disciples and so notice Jesus says I will come to you. I will come to you. Not only will I not leave you orphans but I'll I'll come to you. So how significant is that statement to those feeling orphaned and feeling abandoned? And so what I I want to do is I want to touch this. I want to maybe open up a little bit of my life and share some of the stuff that I've been through. I was praying about this and why Christians struggle with this. Why do they struggle, and I'm talking Christians. And how many of you know this book wasn't written to like unbelievers, although God uses it to convict many an unbeliever, it was written to believers. And how many of you know that even as Christians, and I felt like everything just was teed up for me this morning, how many of you know that as Christians we're not void of challenge, we're not void of struggle, we're not void of suffering, we're not void of that stuff. My pastor used to say, if you're not struggling with something, I wonder if you're growing at all. Oh, so the issue is whether you're going you're gonna to deal with that or whether you're going to keep circling the same mountain, the same wagon, the same. And it's funny how we'll keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results. So I was praying about this and I sensed the Holy Spirit tell me this. That people struggle with abandonment issues because they won't abandon themselves to God. Come on, church. You can come to church again and you can sit in incredible worship like this. You're blessed to have the worship that you have in this house. Your pastor is a worshiper. But just because you're in God's presence doesn't mean you have to deal with anything. You can sit there, you can daydream, you can wish that so-and-so was here. Oh man, they need to hear this. Oh, they love the song, I wish they were here. You can be thinking about what you've been through this week or you can abandon yourself to him. And I, I don't think it's like a one-time moment. You know, I don't I don't think it's, you know, I, I don't think altars are things that we build so that we can remain there. I, I think altars are built so that we'll remember there and so that we'll move on from there. And, and I think so many times we were so focused on the altar that was built. Oh, I remember that service. That was yeah. powerful. God so met me there. Well, has he met you lately? Come you know? On. My Bible, okay, I'm going to try not to get ahead of myself. All right. I'm just starting to mess a little. Just starting to mess. Um, I like ice cream. I just don't like soft serves. So hopefully you're going to allow me to go after it. So you don't ever have to have me back, but I do want to help. So. So. Think about this. Think about this. The tendency of the abandoned is to withdraw and it's to isolate. It isn't to draw near to anyone, including God. You're going to convince me that because of what you've been through in life, you don't want to draw near to anybody. You don't want to develop any kind of in-depth relationship yet. You're doing that with God. I mean, that's like telling me that you don't open your Bible in church, but you do when you're home. That's like telling me you don't like worshiping at church, but you do at home. That's like telling me that you don't like to pray when there are people around, but you pray when you're all alone. I don't know if I always buy into that. I mean, the only Kool-Aid I'm drinking these days is Honolulu Blue, God bless them. And I'm drinking all that Kool-Aid. By the way, I think I just bought a keg of that blue Kool-Aid. But I'm not... I'm not buying the, the, I don't do it publicly. My Bible tells me that what takes place privately, God rewards publicly. Oh, yeah. Come on. And so if it's not working publicly, I wonder if it's working privately. And if it's not working privately, what are we running from? Why aren't we dealing with it? Why aren't we facing it? Fear doesn't go away because you negotiate with it. Fear goes away because you've dealt with it and you've faced it. I have found the only way you're going to deal with fear is by boldly dealing with that stuff. You can't run. You you don't negotiate with a terrorist, and fear is a terrorist spirit, not from God. So how life-changing drawing near to God can be, especially for the abandoned. It's risking it all, taking a leap, finding that God can indeed catch you, and he will. So how does healing come to an orphaned heart, which is the title of my message, if you, I'm not the best with titles, I even tell my staff, you come up with a title, here's what I'm preaching on, I don't care what you call it, Pastor John, we don't like your title, I said, let me get this, you like the message, you don't like the title, you come up with a title, then, I don't care, you call it, call it whatever you want, so, title of my message is an orphaned heart, but if you don't like that, you can put whatever you want to on it, um, how does healing come, well, I believe part of it, and I I believe we start by abandoning ourselves abandoning ourselves to God. And that will break off abandonment issues and, and tendencies. Inviting the spirit of the living God into our hearts brings healing to our hearts. Because the Holy Spirit isn't just with us, but he's in us, right? right. And so think about, in order for healing not to come, how much you have to stiff arm the Holy Spirit. How much you've got to... Push him away, and I don't want you going there right now. Well, he wants to go there right now. Let him go there right now. Don't fight him. Don't fight him. Work with him, not against him. But many people feel this way for, for years, and so as the Holy Spirit comes, he begins to heal. He begins to deal with stuff. And every once in a while, maybe you feel like, you're in something that's a little bit bigger than you are, and so you ask for some help. One puts a thousand, a flight to 10,000, right? Remote. And so you need some help. There's power in agreement where two or more agree on anything. It doesn't say where well, you agree on something. It says where two or more agree on anything, they ask the Father. It'll be done. And so many times you need someone to join with you in prayer, and we're going to offer opportunity for that today. Is is it overnight? No, but it's begun. Yeah. I think in America, we just we want everything like right now. Yeah. Right now. Used to be used to be a burger joint called Hot Now. I don't know if they have them anymore, um, but they prided themselves on being inexpensive and fast. I don't know if they were the best burgers, but I got them right now, and they were hot, and so I guess I was okay with it. <laughs> but even dramatic deliverances need to be walked out. Powerful healings need to be walked out. And with God, change comes not from the outside in, but from the inside out. He microwaves us. He cooks us from the inside out. We want God to deal with this outwardly and that outwardly, and God's saying, no, 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 no. I look at the heart. People look at all that stuff, 1 Samuel sixteen seven. Man looks at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. God's looking at your heart today. And all those issues that you'd like to skirt, or you'd like to put an outward appearance on and say, No, 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 I got it together. I got it going on pretty good. God's saying, No, but your, but your heart. That's why when God speaks, you feel it. And then you wrestle with it in your head. How do I know it's God? You feel it. There's something about God that just cuts right through you. That's why in Scripture, God's voice is likened unto many waters or thunderings and lightnings. Why? Because it was felt. It was felt. So the natural man cannot understand the working of the Spirit. One commentary describes the natural man as the unconverted and unregenerate, the person who is void of the Spirit and who belongs to this age. So that in mind, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Hope you brought your Bibles or your digital device. 1 Corinthians 2, and let's look at some stuff. So that was all kind of introductory and... Look at verses 14 and 15 of 1 Corinthians 2. It says, but people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. Other renderings will say or don't have the Spirit or who only have physical life. We can't understand the working of God without His Spirit working in us. We can't. So why is this so critical to understand? Look at 1 Corinthians 2.10 with me. And hopefully this will help. But it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit. For His Spirit searches out everything and shows us deep secrets. Deep secrets. Because the Holy Spirit searches out everything, including the deep things of God, that's why there is no way we could ever understand the things of God without His Holy Spirit. That's why communion, fellowship, partnership with the Holy Spirit is so important. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, it's like the last verse, and it says, and may the communion of the Holy Spirit or the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You can commune with the Holy Spirit, you can fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Benny Hinn wrote, good morning, Holy Spirit, totally based on just this. Verse in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, you can have communion, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Like y'all are going to get together after service and you're going to hang out, some of you together, and you're going to fellowship, you can have that with the Holy Spirit. Well, if that isn't going on, then what is messing with that? What's interrupting that? I mean, if you got a beef with somebody here, and I'm praying that you don't, and you once enjoyed sweet food, fellowship together, you're probably not inviting them out to eat. Maybe you do after today invite them out to eat, but you're probably not inviting them to a meal. You're not enjoying fellowship with them. There's a rift there. There's an offense there. Well, when that's going on with the Holy Spirit, you're not living. You're starving spiritually. And so when there's something messing with your relationship with the Holy Spirit, it must, must be dealt with. So let's go back to John fourteen twenty one, and I'm going to go from preaching to meddling. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. John 14, 21. Look at this verse again a little bit more closely now. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me, and because they love me, my Father will love them, and I'll love them, and reveal myself to each of them. Notice how Jesus said that he'll reveal himself to those who are obedient to God's word and accept Come on. God's word. Why does it have to mention both? Because you just can't read God's word, you've got to accept it. Yeah, that's right. yeah, that's Man, if you just came for this, this is going to help. When you're reading your Bible, do you think, okay, I believe most of that? okay, that works for Pastor Rick and Diane, but maybe the worship team. I I struggle believing that, God, you can really, really do this. Have you ever been over to somebody's house and, and they say, hey, 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 we don't talk about that here. My next question, if you're like me, is, well, what else don't you want to talk about? I don't want to keep bumping into these walls that you've got up here. What can't the Holy Spirit talk to you about? Come on. Why can't he go there? And if he can't go there, what makes you think that he even feels like he's invited to the party at all? Come on. Are you checking him at the door? Holy Spirit, you can come in, but don't mess with this or don't mess with that. You know how I don't like it when... And if he seems to be pecking away at the same thing over and over again, why do you think that is? I mean, I'm Polish. I like to keep things simple. God keeps putting his finger on stuff because you haven't given it to him. God keeps putting his finger on stuff because you're not dealing with it. You ever find yourself saying, why do people always bring that up about me? I hear people say that about me all the time. It says that those that are obedient to God's word and accept God's word, word, that Jesus reveals him or manifests himself to them. And reveal or manifest means to cause something to be fully known by revealing clearly and in some detail. I love worship, anointed worship. In worship, God's presence begins to fall. It's almost like... A full-length mirror is placed in front of you, and you get to see yourself as you really, really are. Because God's showing you you. Anybody else shows you you, your spouse, your family, you can't handle it. When God does it, it's like, oh, it's got to be true. When I read that, I immediately thought about how Jesus will reveal himself or he'll manifest himself. I thought, this can't be overnight. It can't be overnight. And I'm grateful for the overnights, and I'm grateful for the suddenlies, but I believe this speaks of a process in staying the course and walking in obedience. And since when is obedience a one-time deal anyway? I mean, then why don't you just say that you're not obedient, but you once were. I was obedient that time. So it's ongoing. We keep, we keep expect, accepting God's word, keep walking in obedience to God. We keep keeping on. Let me show you something in 2 John. Must be good if it's in 2 John, a little one chapter book before you get to Revelation. 2 John. Look at 2 John. Begin reading. We'll read the first four verses. You guys there? Says, This letter is from John the Elder. I'm writing to the chosen lady and to her children, whom I love in the truth, as does everyone else who knows the truth, because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace, which come from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. How happy I was to meet some of your children and find them living according to the truth, just as the Father commanded. I always struggled with who's the chosen lady. Who's the chosen lady and her children? I mean, who is that? Who's this special lady? Is this, is this Mary, Jesus' earthly mom? Who is this? And I've come to discover that the chosen lady's the church. The church. Notice the words, who live in truth and love, and in verse 3, living according to the truth, in verse 4. The ESV and the New King James Word, verse 4, walking in the truth. So this journey that began at salvation, it must be walked out. Yes, there are moments and milestones, but we got to continue walking. We've got to continue walking. Yeah. Go to Colossians, chapter 3. Let's kind of take it up a notch. Colossians 3. Since you've been raised to new life, verse 1, with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor, God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and I love how the new living words this and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you'll share in all his glory. So I want to start to zero in on like two groups. First, those who suffered loss experience rejection and abandonment so great that it still influences and affects you today. Second, those who sold out to Jesus but still find themselves spiraling when they're not received, treated, or respected the way that they think they should be. And to really grasp what Paul is saying here in Colossians 3, you've got to look at chapter 2, verses 20-23, through 23, and it'll even make more sense. Again, you'll notice this for you died theme again in verse 20. You've died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. One commentary describes these verses as foolish attempts at sanctification that often entrap Christian people. Our values and how we look at life change when we become Christians. So how can we know that we're growing spiritually in a healthy way? How can we know? How can I Pastor John How, how can I know that I'm tracking and that I'm growing like I'm supposed to be? growing as a believer in Jesus because Peter I think put it best and he starts the book of 2 Peter the same way that he ends it by admonishing us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So so how do we do that? Let me answer this by asking a few questions and 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 don't don't shut me down and don't push me out and don't, don't close me down as I ask these questions, but what are the realities that you work from? Heaven or self? Which reality do you work from? Heaven or self? Because how many of you know when you ask Jesus in your heart this ain't your home. No more. This ain't your home. Heaven's now our home. Eternity has been set in your heart, Scripture says. For you died, Paul told the church in Colossae. You died, and your real life is now hidden with Christ in God. So when you go through hardships, who do you set your sights on, Jesus yourself. I'm going to tell you the basis of Christian growth in a healthy way. Is so. It hinges. It hinges on this. Does everything always come back to you or Jesus? I can't believe how she looked at me. I can't. I, Pastor Rick, he he didn't even say hi to me this morning. Are you frustrated that people? don't get you or fully understand what you're going through or are you crying out to Jesus for strength? Has life been reduced to you gaining a greater understanding of all that you've ever been through and does that understanding satisfy? I'm just trying to figure out myself a little more. Man, nobody ever told me to do that as I was growing as a young Christian. It was all about Jesus. My identity isn't in Me discovering more and more what I'm about, it's in Jesus Christ and finding out more and more what he's about. Since when is it about you? So you became a Christian just so that you could figure yourself out more. This ain't rocket science. When you became a Christian, it became about Jesus Christ. I believe it was Peter that said, once you had no identity, but now... You have an identity as God's people. We're God's people. We're God's people. Can I suggest that if that's you, then there's freedom available for you, but you've got some choices to make. Don't keep bringing it back to you. This generation might be a me generation, but as a people of God, we're a Jesus people. It's about Jesus Christ. And don't worry, there's plenty of him to discover. Do you ever wonder why they could, in heaven, in Revelation, they they rest not day and night saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Every time they do it, the, the, the elders cast their crowns. Do you ever wonder how they could keep doing that over and over again? Don't you think that would get monotonous? No, because they don't exhaust God. They see a new facet of him all the time. He's inexhaustible. You'll never figure him out. There's so much to God that... You know, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, there's no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. Church ain't going to be boring in heaven. If it is here, you go to a good church, you're blessed to be here. It ain't going to be boring in heaven, I'm going to tell you what. God's always fresh, he's always new, he's never stale, he's never old, never. God doesn't drudge up your past unless you haven't dealt with it. And if he keeps bringing it up, come on. I love how the new living words, Colossians 3, 3, your real life. So what are we living by? What's your reality? Is it your real life? Because that's hidden with Christ. It's hidden in Christ. You know what I pray when I read God's word? I pray that his word would renew my mind cause me to speak as the oracles of God and be hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against him. I pray that his word would wash over my wife and our sons, their wives and grandchildren. That God's word would cleanse their hands, purify their hearts so that they could draw near to him regarding him alone as holy. And those are the kind of I pray because it's what my real life is is based on it's in Christ it's in Christ real life is not is is not about oh, how can I word this and I'm hoping I'm getting it out real life isn't about who you are as a Christian it's about who you are in Christ on, yes. That's right. and I think we get it it gets weird it gets weird because today everything is about our identity it, it's such a me generation everything's about us Man, we didn't even know what selfies were ten years ago. And just so that you know, be keeping track on Facebook, I am gonna post four new pics of me and my hairdo from different angles, and I'm gonna ask you all what you think. Do you like it? Do you what do you think? Oh gosh, I'll never forget. I'm doing a wedding, and the and the groom was just a Oh, he was a card, man, just a piece of art. And as he and I are walking down at the beginning of the wedding, I kind of realize what song's being played. It wasn't like your typical background music. It was You Are So Beautiful by Joe Cocker. <laughs> and we get up to the front with my mic off, and I said, Tommy, please tell me we just did not walk down to You Are So Beautiful. <laughs> and he looks at me without blinking, and he goes, but you are. And I'm thinking, this ain't about me. It's about you and your bride. And I think we get it twisted when we make it about us. Let me tell you, when it has to be about you, you are off and you are wrong. You are not on. You are not on. on. (sighs) Even in a healthy relationship, in a healthy marriage, 1 Peter 3 The husband's to dwell the wife with understanding. It's never about us. The moment you become a Christian, it ain't about you anymore. The gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't about you, it's about others. None of it's about you. You're supposed to be dying, you're supposed to be laying your life down. That's what greater love is. And I don't know what's happened in the church today, but it seems like so much has become about us, about our being understood. I'm going to tell you, you're going to get shipwrecked if you continue to adopt that. It is about Jesus Christ. You know, the young people that are on fire for God today, they're so abandoned in worship, they could give a rip about anything else. I was praying one time. How am I doing? I was praying one time about God, what is it about? This younger generation, you know, what I mean they could they could worship for three hours. They could, I mean, you know, they'll ask me, Pastor John, you want to go to this this concert? No, I don't know if I could stand that long. It might hurt my feet. I don't know if I could, I mean, but and the Lord told me that they want me. They want me. And they that want Christ and desire Christ are gonna pass those. That are thinking about themselves, or wondering why the church is doing this or that, or why don't we do this, why don't we do that. The altar is going to be flooded by people that want him. I said a long time ago that in the last days, church is going to be a revolving door. Old seasoned, bitter, offended saints are going to leave, and young outcasts and passionate worshipers, they are going to come because they just want Jesus. They just want Jesus. If Second Corinthians five seventeen is true, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. If 2 Corinthians 5.17 is true, your old life is gone. If our old life is not gone, the new life has not come. Let me say that again. If your old life isn't gone, if old things haven't passed away, the new hasn't come. And if the new hasn't come, then why hasn't it come? God's not looking for greater effort on your part. He's looking for greater abandonment. I mean, honest, do you think that you can, like, flesh this thing out? Isn't that what Paul said to the Galatians? You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Having begun in the spirit, you're not going to finish in the flesh? Is that what we're going to do? Is that what we're going to get saved, and then we're going to take it from here? Holy Spirit, I got it. Man, you've been working hard. Sit down. I got this. So how can we know that new life has come? Well, God will be speaking to your heart, and you're living based on his words. Deuteronomy 8.3 says it's how we're to live, by every word that proceeds from his mouth. Notice that it's present tense. Notice that it's current, it's not past. We don't live based on every word that proceeded from his mouth. You once heard coming from his mouth. And notice that with the kingdom of God, the way that you grow, you grow ear to mouth. Your ear to his mouth. In the physical, you grow hand to mouth. Spiritually, you grow ear to mouth. That's how you grow. That's how you grow. And we don't live this new life based on emotions, even though we have them. We don't live this new life based on feelings, even though we have them. Why? Because our emotions and our feelings are not realities that you can live by. We can't afford to set our sights on emotions and feelings. Do we grieve? Yeah, but 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says... We don't grieve like those who who have no hope. We have hope when we grieve. Are we rejected and ridiculed? Yes, but our identity is in Christ now. Why? Because you died and your real life is hidden in Christ Jesus. So, Pastor John, you don't grieve, you've never been rejected, suffered abandonment of any kind. At 18, I found my mother dead. I wasn't a Christian. I was hungover. First semester of college and so I was probably up smoking weed and snorting coke and so I'm hung over and wondering why mom didn't answer the phone I mean mom could be anywhere in the house and she'd get that phone within four rings and so I the phone kept ringing and I woke up and I'm wondering what's going on mom looks like she's sleeping on the couch foot up on a footstool glasses on the end of her nose book on her chest mom how come you didn't get the phone mom Creek mom woke up, mom. Go over, grab her hands, they're cold. Just then, the phone rings, it's my sister in law. And I said, I think mom's dead. I know CPR. Should I perform CPR on her? And she goes, Yes, I'll wait until you do. And she's already frantic. And but in a moment like that, you kind of shift into another gear. And so, I perform CPR on my mom, call my dad at work. I'll never forget what my dad said when he came there that day. They ripped my mom's top off or they're her on the floor in our living room. My dad said, Johnny, you pray. We need her. And I remember in that moment thinking, no, we can make it. We can do this. Dad, we can. I wasn't even thinking about his 40 years of marriage to my mom. My dad proceeded to plunge headlong into alcoholism. He'd always been a drinker, but he was highly functional, and he was very good at what he did, and now, all caution, thrown to the wind, and so I was really abandoned by two parents, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but loss is like a form of abandonment, and I remember somebody ministering to to me one time, said, John, I'm so sorry that your mother abandoned you, and I'm thinking, she didn't abandon me, she died, but that's what it felt like, and then my father, choosing alcoholism over, you know, still being a dad, and even though I was 18, I was a very immature 18-year-old, I mean, I was so immature that when we got back from the hospital, when we said, you know, man, yeah, take her off the machine, I mean, she was pretty much gone, my brother said, come with me, my Vietnam veteran brother brings me downstairs in the basement, and I'm like, what are we doing, is he going to show me, like, some jar of cash that mom and dad had stashed in the basement or something. And he walks over to the washing machine and he goes, do you know how to operate this? And I'm like, no. He goes, well, you're going to have to learn. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, you think dad's doing the laundry? He said, John, he hasn't done it in 40 years. I said, so I'm doing the laundry? He goes, and dad's too. And you're folding it and you're putting it away. And so little Johnny Party Animal, he had to grow up fast. Next thing you know, I'm smoking weed and watching soap operas, folding my dad and my laundry and putting it away. It was just a different world for me. I've seen all my grandparents, parents, brother, sister-in-law, two nephews pass away, drinking related deaths. One drank so severely, he literally fried his liver before he hit his 35th birthday. My other nephew got drunk and drove into a tree on his way home and was dead on the scene. I mean, even though my grandparents and my mother's deaths were the only ones I experienced as an unbeliever, my grandparents passed away when I was quite young, I, I, I went to church, but I, I didn't have any life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. But as a pastor, Lisa and I have been rejected by people who told us they loved us more times than we can count. I've been called everything from a homosexual to a child abuser. I've been falsely accused, thrown in jail, appeared before five judges, all ruled in my favor at district circuit court and the Michigan Court of Appeals. And the reason why I'm standing here today and love life is all because of Jesus Christ. And this is what I found and I want to share it with you. Is that I've found Jesus to be a reality in every storm that we've ever faced. If you're looking for him, you'll find him. If you look for me with all my heart, with all your heart, you'll find me. I found all of the ground is sinking sand, that Jesus Christ is a solid rock upon which I can stand, and I'll go to the grave declaring that there's no greater life available to all mankind than that which is found in Jesus Christ. And this isn't some kind of gut-level denial. You know, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not denying the, you know, the physical realities that we have to deal with. Um, this is, you know, this isn't, you know, like some, you know, oh, I I believe, you know, that, you know, Christians aren't supposed to suffer. Where are you going to preach that? You do an awful lot better telling people you're going to face stuff in this world. You'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. He's overcome the world. I mean, yes. be a real Christian. Yes. Don't be plastic. Nobody's buying that, and if they do, they're not going to buy it for long.
2: Right.
1: No, this is talking about. Crying out to God knowing that you've got nowhere else to turn. You don't have some ace up your sleeve if Jesus doesn't work out. You're not escaping reality or keeping people at arm's length because you can't handle intimacy. No, 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 no. You found out how to cry out to the living God from the depths of who you are. You found out that His presence can be experienced at home, in the bathroom, in the bedroom, just as powerfully as it can in church with anointed worship. And I found this, when you're healthy, you keep putting your heart out there. When you're healthy, you keep putting it out there. But pastor, what if they reject? What if they, what if they do? What does that have to do with you and Jesus? You don't pull back, isolate, or withdraw, or grow critical of others. You don't rely on substances or drag out that prescription that served its purpose long ago. You don't blame others for where you are, no matter how justified you don't you you, you you don't do that you you keep reaching out to love again and again no matter how you're treated or even fear how you'll be treated you boldly face your fears keep moving forward not dwelling on the past if you've truly surrendered all to Jesus if you've surrendered all the accusers, the blamers the criticizers the analyzers are seldom the surrendered the committed and the worshipers in spirit and truth seldom seldom. They're the ones sitting back and watching. Or everybody else is entering in. They're kind of checking out to see who's entering in. Come on. Good. I struggle with those who regularly receive words for others and seldom receive from the Lord themselves. I just struggle with that. Don't dispense anything to me if you haven't received any deposits. Don't, 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 don't. It is possible. And I'm sure anybody that's walking with the Lord for any length of time would say the same. It's possible to spend time with the Lord and not yield your heart to him. It's possible. It's possible. If you don't bring your heart to the Lord, he can't speak to it, convict it, change it, fashion it anew. He can't do it. The Amplified Bible reads, Philippians 3.3, for we who are born again have been reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, set apart for his purpose, and are the true circumcision, who worship in the spirit of God and glory and take pride and exalt in Jesus Christ and place no confidence in what we have, Or who we are in the flesh. I think I wrote down Psalm 118, yeah. 118.8. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. And I'm not saying to be, you know, mistrusting just saying, your refuge is the Lord. It's not It's not a person. Your spouse isn't your refuge. Your kids, your grandkids, they're not your refuge. You get to enjoy them and they're a blessing. And how grateful you are for them. Your pastor is not your refuge. The elders are not your refuge. This church can be a place of refuge, but it's in hopes that you'll find Christ, that Jesus would be the refuge that you run to. We run to the Lord and we're safe, right? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to him and are safe. And I don't know how aware you are of how blessed you are to have a church like this. I mean, churches are caving left and right over issues that... You wouldn't even have thought a church would need to clarify, but they have to today. Denominations are being torn in two. The Methodist denomination, for example, has now been fractured over the whole LGBTQ issue. If you're... A liberal Methodist church, you can keep your building if you're traditional. You have to pay for your building even though it's 100 or 150 years old. And we know that because the Methodist church right by us has to cough up like $90,000. And they had a fire. And the insurance company didn't even give them all the money that they need to renovate the building. So... They need to renovate the building, and after they've renovated the building, then they need to purchase the building and the vineyard movement is torn over this, believe it or not. John Wimber would be rolling in his grave. And the church shouldn't be defined by its sexual preference, it should be defined by Christ. I don't understand. Why, are, why is that even an issue? I thought we're here to talk about Jesus. Right. You're blessed to have a church like this. And as I was praying about Res Life St. Louis, Pastor Rick and Diane, I saw this church as an outpost. One of the last days, few remaining. And I thought about, you know, Back in the day, they would have these outposts and they would be like in the wilderness and it would be the last place that you could go to get provisions or or staples that were needed for for living. People are going to come here exhausted from looking for houses that will not compromise. And they're going to come here. They're going to come here. This is a house of integrity that won't sell Jesus out, and many are. But I know your pastors, they ain't selling out. They ain't selling out. And you'll, you can find a church if you want that will cater to you. I want a church that will challenge me. And this is one that will. This is one that will, and you're blessed to be here. This house is unwavering in its stance. This house is immovable from its place. This house is unapologetic in its grace. This house. You have no idea what you have here, yet you're going to find out. Friends or family will come and they'll tell you, you're blessed to have a church like that. You're blessed to have a church like that. And pastors, Rick and Diane, the reason why the Lord offers you respite, not retirement, is because you're not one of the many, you're one of the few. And I hear the Lord say, don't pull back, double down. Dog on it, Rick, double down, man. Double down. And during worship, I heard, I heard warfare. I heard that this was a house of war. And there's something about your, your worship that it's, it's almost militant-like, and it's by God's design. It's by God's design. This house knows how to battle and knows how to go to war. And so when you come here and you're a part of what God's doing here, you're drafted. You're drafted. And you are now property, God's property. And in these last days, the Lord's going to serve you notice that you don't get to live your life any way that you want to. You're in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. You're in the Lord's army. And he's enlisting his saints in these last days to take a bold stand for Jesus Christ. Come on. Come on. Yes. Pastor John, I've got I've got family that are this or they're that, and it's fair. you don't have a choice anymore. Right. If you won't stand for the truth, then what are you going to lead them to? Yes. You've got to lead them to the rock that's higher than you are. Yeah. Where are you going to lead them? Where are you going to take them? Are you going to take them to your logical conclusion? Or are you going to take them to the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, I don't have to tell you what's going on, on in our schools. I don't have to tell you what culture is trying to say. I don't, I don't, I'm not relying on the government or the next president. It, it isn't about that. And you've got to get off the fence, church. I don't even know if they're making fences anymore. It's gotten so crazy out there. I don't even know if there's a fence to sit on anymore. You've got to open up your mouth. And you've got to tell people the truth. And you can tell them in love. You can tell them in love. But you've got to start telling them. I think gone are the days when pastors expected to do all the work. My Bible tells us in Ephesians 4 that the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Yeah. Yeah. And they've been likened under the fingers on the hand. The prophet's the index finger, he's a pointer finger, he points things out. The evangelist is a middle finger, he stands out from among the rest. The pastor's the ring finger, he's married to the church. The teacher's the pinky. He brings balance, and the apostle touches all of them. He's the thumb. And you've got equippers in this house, and they know who they are. They know who they are. And if you call them friend, you're blessed to do so, but that's not why God sent them here. They're equippers. And you're either allowing them to equip you or you're not. But hopefully I don't have to tell you that the days are evil. And they are. Rick Renner believes that we're not only living in the last days, we're we're living in the last of the last days. (laughs) And we've got so much work to do. And I see two groups that need to be reached in these last days. The people that once walked with Jesus and they've fallen away, and those are some of the hardest to win. The Bible says a brother offended is harder to win than a walled city, but I believe that's our first task. The Lord told me before he he returns, the dead in Christ would rise first. All the sleepy saints that have fallen asleep, you gotta go jar them and say the battle's raging. And you're in here licking your wounds, and you're offended over what sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so said or pastor so-and-so said, you're still licking that wound. And then secondly, there are the people that are just so lost, they don't even know what it's like to walk in fellowship with God. They've never, they, they never imagined a world like the one that would be open to them if they walked through Christ the door. They have no idea. They're clueless. You're going to tell me peace and joy and love. I'm telling you peace, Loy, of love and joy in a way that you've never experienced before, and a storm could be raging and you can still have it. That's what I'm telling you. Yeah. But before we do that, we've got to deal with our own stuff. And I'll, I'm going to reference this. And then and then I'm going to invite the band up. Why don't you guys just come up now? The band, come on back up. Thank you so much for doing all that stuff beforehand so that we could do what we're going to do now. I didn't put this in the notes, and I'm just kind of reminded of it now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll just I'll talk about this, and you can study it later to make sure that what I'm telling you is true. In 2 Samuel 21, there was a famine, and David inquires the Lord, why why is there a famine? And the Lord speaks to David and says, the famines come because of Saul and his family. They're guilty of murdering the Gibeonites. So David approaches the Gibeonites and says, what do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you ask. How do you want me to... To amend this situation. I believe Lord showed me we got a famine in the land because of this, and they said, Well, give us seven of Saul's sons and we'll we'll take their lives to recompense for the lives that we've lost. And so David says, Go ahead and and do that. And then it says the king ordered that they bury the bones in the tomb of Kish, Saul's father at the town of Zila in the land of Benjamin. After that, God ended the famine in the land. Then right after the same chapter, 2 Samuel 21, four giants come against David and Israel. They said David chose five smooth stones, not because he thought he'd miss, but because he knew there were four other giants other than Goliath. And one of them was Goliath's brother. And David's men, they rise up and they kill these four giants because it takes a giant killer to raise up giant killers. And So David raises up his men and they kill these four giants. What's the moral of the story? You can't face giants in the land until you deal with that which is in the midst of your land. You can't ask God to use you until you deal with your stuff. Deal with your stuff. We all got to deal with our stuff. I'm not up here preaching from some pristine crystal cathedral. Like, Lisa and I have got it all together. We've worked through our stuff. We've been married 32 years. We've got four grandkids. And there's been stuff that's gone down. But, man, we have run to Jesus. And if you haven't run to Jesus, if you've run everywhere else but Jesus, if God's been putting his finger on areas in your heart and your life, you have to deal with that stuff. You don't get to blame. You don't get to blame. Isn't it amazing? The Bible says if you're offering your gift at an altar and they realize that someone has something against you, you're to go to them? Make it right. Make it right. I knew of years ago, I don't know if it's still happening, Pastor Rick, a pastor in Texas, he would hold church court. Any issues in the body, they'd come before. Your brother and sister, you're here and you resolve that. You pay them back that money. You do or you're gonna get removed from the church. He'd hold church court. Richard Hanner. Hold church court. I don't know if Pastor Richard still does. I don't even know if he's still pastoring. See, we want to just skip right over the stuff we got to deal with and we want to go face the giants. Don't you do it. Right on, right on. You're don't you do it. Don't you do it. Is it always coming back to you? They don't get me. They don't understand me. They don't. In a healthy relationship, you're trying to understand the other, not trying to make them understand you. Right. In a healthy relationship, you're not trying to get God under, to understand you. You're trying to, to know him more. You sing it. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. It's not about people getting you. It's about them getting Jesus. It's not about you being right. It's about God being right. And I found that my right isn't always God's right, and I'm good with that. It's not about God bringing about justice for you. He's going to fight your battles for you. Think about this. Joshua chapter 5, last reference, and then we're going to open things up. In fact, could I just get the prayer team to come now so that no one feels like they're coming to an empty altar? Joshua chapter 5, before he faces Jericho, he, he goes and he gets alone and he prays. And the commander of the army of the Lord shows up with a drawn sword. Joshua doesn't know who it is. And he says, are you for us? Or are you for our adversaries? And the Lord says, neither, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Let me help you today if all you hear is this. God doesn't choose sides. He's the side that we choose. He's not choosing your side. You're not going to strong arm him into your corner. He's the side and we must choose him not about whether people are siding with you. Anytime it's an us and them thing, you're you're already in error. It's about a he thing. I don't know. I just, we should start answering people, I don't know about that. I just love Jesus. What's God telling you? Oh, you haven't asked him. How about we start there? we've been building way too many walls and not enough bridges. And I think we've gotten to be really good wall builders and separators and dividers and not enough bridge builders and not enough people that are covering the gaps, filling the gaps in. Where are the repairs of the breach? Where are they? Isaiah 58. We're the repairs of the breach. So I'm going to pray if God's speaking to your heart and dealing with you, and I believe that there are people in this room that he is. We're not negotiating. We're praying. We're not looking for anybody in this room to be right. We're looking for God and God alone to be right. Because we don't heal, Jesus does. We don't restore, Jesus does. Oh man, we can cooperate with God and what He's doing. And there are people, I believe with all of my heart, that are not in church today because of petty differences that happened weeks, months, years ago. And it needs to stop, and they need to come back home. Enough is enough. You need to come back home. You need to come back home. Enough's enough. Enough's enough. This has gone on long enough. So I'm going to pray. We're going to open up these altars and we'll pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you. You've been putting your hand on some stuff. So Father, we open up these altars. And we come, God, asking that you would set us free, not from our flesh, but our focus and our emphasis on it. Father, that you would deliver us from self so that we go from self-serving to just flat-out servants for Jesus Christ. God, this isn't about us. It's not about us. Father, deliver the church from the church so that it would once again be the chosen lady and her children. Oh, God, long enough. It's gone on long enough. Bring the church back to you, Jesus. Jesus. Abandoned worshipers, unashamed worshipers, lovers of God. Oh, Father, set us free, deliver us. Set us free, deliver us. And, Father, I pray that for everyone bound by shame, guilt, Father, that they'd find deliverance and freedom today. They'd find deliverance and freedom today. Oh, God. God. We're bringing it all back to you, Jesus, not to us. Have you been misunderstood? Have you been ridiculed? Have you been rejected? It isn't about us. It's about you. It's about you. Forgive us. Forgive us. We've been off. We've been off. We've been wrong. Our passions have been off. It's about you, Jesus. It's always been about you. It began with you. It finishes with you. You're the author and finisher. We're not. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. If our hope is gone, Jesus, come back. We're coming back to you. Meet us. Meet us at this altar today. Meet us at this altar today. Set people free today, Father. Set people free. If God's been speaking to your heart, I'm just going to ask everyone to stand. If God's been speaking to your heart and you need to be down here, I'm going to ask that you come down here so that we can pray for you mics off while wow. the band plays we just want to be able to pray for you today father give people the courage to come forward to respond as you speak to hearts today god set people free in this place in jesus name we pray in jesus name we pray in jesus name we pray in jesus name